welcome to Angel Talk, Reflections of an Ambitious Angel Mom. My name is Philip Kerrigan. I am the executive director of Raise for Rowan. We are the organization that helps families suffering through the loss of a child with funeral cost assistance and emotional support. I am joined by, as pretty much always, the Angel Mom herself. Say hello to the people, Bryn. Hello, everybody. So how are you doing? Happy Cinco de Mayo. Happy Cinco de Mayo. Happy Cinco de Mayo. Wish I was in Mexico celebrating. I know. I know. I know. Your vacation got cut short, so you didn't have a chance. I could go back there anytime. Uh, What's your favorite drink on Cinco de Mayo? Always a margarita. Margarita. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty pretty simple. I'm a Corona. Oh, yeah. Which is tough right now. Corona is not doing any, that's not doing good right now. I almost thought that we needed to see a meme of like... Drinking Corona and <laughs> right. Corona. Right, right, right. So uh, that's good. Well, it's good to know. So your yeah. drink of choice is margarita on, a, on Cinco de Mayo. Uh, if you're out there, uh, have one for us and uh, maybe have a Corona as well. Yeah. Enjoy it. Um, so today we're talking, we're actually going to do, we're unveiling a special segment over the next five to six weeks. We're actually going to do the five stages of grief. So many of you folks have probably heard about the five stages of grief. It's fairly a popular study in psychology. Um, it was created in 1969 by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who described the five stages of grief in her book on death and dying. So there's a lot of folks. It's a it's a wildly popular book. It has been out there for a long time, for, for decades now. We are actually going to take each of the next five weeks and talk specifically about each stage of grief. And then um, we're going to get a little bit personal with Brenda to talk about some of her experiences within those stages, maybe some of the things that she experiences today, uh, still today, through those through those stages. And then we are really excited because then at the end, we actually have a sixth stage of grief. There is this sort of widely thought of opinion out there that there's in fact a sixth stage, which is finding the meaning in the entire tragedy. And we'll actually have an angel mom on who had a child named Rowan. I can't wait to have her on. <laughs> I know. I can't wait to actually yeah. tell the story of how you two met, too. That'll be oh, really yeah. funny. So stay tuned for that. But basically what we'll do is we'll go through each of the five stages. And hopefully what, our goal with this is you might be out there experiencing one of these stages, not just if you lost a child, but if you lost someone close to you in general. Mm-hmm. You may be going through one of these stages and it might be hard to recognize while you're in it. And what we're hoping to do here with, with this particular podcast is kind of give Bryn's story about, about each of these stages and how she experienced them. And maybe some of her experience will translate to what you're going through today. So that's what we'll do. Can you give you kind of a brief overview of the uh, five stages of grief? As I said, Kubler-Ross uh, wrote about the five stages in, 1960, in, in 1969 with her best-selling book, On Death and Dying. It was actually inspired by her own work with terminally ill patients. She became frustrated, really, with the lack of medical training around what happens, not physically, but actually emotionally and psychologically when people die. That was something she noticed was just not being addressed at all in the late 60s, which wow. is seems to be pretty par for the course when it comes to that sort of work. Mental illness was yeah. a really young subject for for the medical field. Um, she actually dove pretty deep into it, and she concluded that there were five stages of grief 
in her opinion. Now, a lot of people think that you experience these stages of grief sort of in a very linear way. So you're in denial first, and then you go to the second one and the third one and the fourth one, and you do it consecutively. But in her work, she re- she came to the conclusion that that's not how folks actually experience these five stages. We'll actually get, in that, uh, get into that with you, Bryn, a little bit as we go through some of the questions. And so for her, she looked at it like it was never meant to be a linear process. These are feelings that you feel all over the place. They're actually not just phases. They're something that you literally actually go through all the time. Yeah. Um, And this is what was really interesting. She actually did not write the books to actually talk about how people grieve for others. That as she actually originally wrote the book to deal to talk about people who specifically had cancer and were diagnosed as being terminally ill. Oh, interesting. And, yeah, and wow. so what their feelings were on their own death. But then what she wow. realized was, oh my gosh, this is happening to their family members as well. No kidding. I've yeah. never even thought about that aspect of yeah. it. But they're grieving as well. Right, because they're grieving their own inevitable passing. Wow. Right? So it was very, very interesting. Uh, The first stage and the stage we're going to talk about uh, at length today is is denial. And you might think, uh, so basically how denial works is um, it's pretty pretty straightforward. You uh, really kind of deny the news that it happened Mm -hmm. or or, uh, you, in effect, go numb. Uh, Life doesn't make any sense. It doesn't have a lot of meaning. It's very, this stage is very overwhelming. Uh, this is a common stage to wonder how life will go on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're in a state of shock uh, because life, as you once knew it, has changed forever. And if you're diagnosed with a deadly disease, you might believe the news is actually incorrect. It's a mistake by the doctor or the lab, or you might not you might not think that it's happening to you. This is happening to somebody else. Uh, they must have gotten the diagnosis wrong. Mm-hmm. She saw that this was uh, something that a lot of terminally ill patients experienced and this was the first stage they didn't believe the news right um and then if you receive news on the death of a loved one you might cling to the false hope that they were identified as the wrong person let's say there was a car accident Mm -hmm. and you weren't on scene and it gets reported back by the police you you your first instinct is well it can't be it can't be my daughter it can't be my son it can't be my loved one because i just saw them they you know they just left um, and then you're actually living, you're not living in actual uh, reality, as, as, as Kubler-Ross said, but you're living in what she called a preferable reality, which I think, um, I mean, I think, honestly, there's a lot of folks who go through that particular one, creating a preferable reality. And then interestingly, it is sh- uh, denial and shock that actually help you cope and survive the grief wow. of the event. That's what that was her conclusion. It is actually this stage, even though it's the most sort of like creation of a separate reality or some people might consider it lying to yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, She came to the conclusion that this is actually something that your brain does in order to get through what you've just experienced. Right. The trauma. Yeah. And then you go into your fight or flight mode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so she viewed it as actually an important stage for your grief. Totally. Yeah. So, uh, Bryn, if you're if you're okay with it, I figure we can we can uh, fire away at the questions and, and kind of talk a little bit about your experience within this particular stage. Is that okay with you? Yeah. All right. So let's do it. Uh, so let's start at the very beginning. Uh, looking back, uh, how did you go through this stage after the accident first happened? Was this the f- first stage? If looking back on it, that you feel like you experienced? Yeah. Um, and I do have to say, I do agree that. 
uh, the five stages of grief aren't just seamlessly one after another. Mm. It is like you can experience, I think, many different feelings of grief um, all at the same time. So, but definitely the very first feeling I think is shock Mm. and denial. Um, And especially if it's like a traumatic situation, which anytime you lose a child, I feel like it's a traumatic situation, but being witnessing the accident or um, witnessing. One that's so abrupt. Yeah. And, and that, you know, you're just in shock. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like it was real life. I kept saying that to um, the paramedics that were there. I said, this isn't real. Wow. Like this isn't real. And I literally had that outer body experience where you feel like you're floating above watching everything happen. Wow. I didn't even feel like I was in my body. It was so weird. And I, you know, you couldn't stop trembling, shaking. Mm -hmm. Um, And no, it does not, it does not feel real. So you're just in denial at that point of like, this is not my reality. Like this is, this, there's no way this is my life. Yeah. Um, And even as time goes on and you start to like really have it start sinking in, like, oh my God, this really is my life. Like I, I hated that that was like becoming my reality. and I still didn't want to accept it. So I really do feel even after five years that I have moments where I'm still kind of like, I don't want to accept it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even want to necessarily still call it denial because obviously I've came to terms with like, this is my life now. Like yeah. I'm going to make the best of my situation that I can. I don't ever feel like I'm going to have to like it. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I don't, I would give anything to have my old life back to just be holding my daughter once yeah. again. Yeah. Um, so it's like, you don't want to ever, I guess, admit that you're accepting it. But once the denial part is finally like, okay, I've accepted this is my life. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it took a lot of years. Yeah. I really would say. And I, in the beginning, and I've said this in past podcasts, but just getting through a minute was all I could do. And yeah. that's like what I would have to tell myself, like just get through this minute um, because it was that painful. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just really do feel like this is not, there's no way possible this could be my life. And this could, there could not be possible that I'm not going to see my daughter again. And this could not be possible. The whole situation on how it played out. I mean, it's like I was in denial with everything um, for a long time. Can you give some examples of, little denials that you did in fact make to yourself as you were going through some of this process? Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely would think like, you know, what, like, how could God let this happen to me? Like I've, I've been a good person. I'm a Christian, so I must be getting punished for something or, you know, like denial that I might ever deserve a normal life again. Mm. Like when you truly, I think when you're rock bottom and in depression and, grief and loss, I think that's so far-fetched to even think that you'll live a normal, happy life again. Mm. So, you know, it took me a lot of years before I even accepted, you know, I think you're just going through the motions of life for other people, but it's like such a blur for so long. Um, Oh, I was also in denial. Like, how could my husband love me after Rowan passed? Wow. Really? She was on my watch. Yeah. That's something that's been really hard for me to talk about over the years, but, um, you know, I blamed myself and we didn't really talk about it for a long time, but, you know, I always felt like there's just no way he could possibly love me or want to be with me if Rowan passed away on my watch. Wow. Um, so I think you go through a lot of guilt and a lot of denial in different aspects. So yeah, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. going back a little bit to, you talked a little bit about how it took, it was like a minute at a time 
a moment at a time. I wonder if if what, what Kubler-Ross was talking about when denial and shock are actually are the things that the brain does to help you cope. I wonder if that's what she meant. Like the only way at the very beginning that you were going to be able to get through some of these things is if you were almost changing realities a bit as you went along. Because that's the only way that you could have possibly actually handled it. I wonder if that's yeah. what she meant by that. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Because I think when you go into a real state of shock, you know, you're, you can almost feel like your body's shutting down, you yeah. know, and then it's just fighting to keep going. Yeah. So it was just, it was such a weird um, feeling for sure. Yeah. Not pleasant whatsoever. Right. Of course not. Of course <laughs> um, not. But yes, uh, I think denial is a huge part of the grief stages. And mm-hmm. I think that you can still experience that even years and years later, you know, you mm-hmm. might just be having a bad day where you get like that feeling again of denial yeah. in some way. We, we had a, we had, as some folks know, we had a really cool four week uh, podcast while you were out of the country because then I actually got run at the place. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> while you were, where you were out of the country, we talked to multiple fathers about their experience. We did not dive into this though. So mm-hmm. I, I kind of, this is a question I have for you. Um, who do you think was more affected by this stage or maybe perhaps use the stage a bit more? Would you venture to say it was you or your husband who was more stuck in the denial stage? Like, uh, I can't believe this is happening. This isn't happening. That sort of stuff. Yeah, I think it's hard for me to answer this just because, you know, we, I don't think I've ever asked him that question, yeah. but he, he, he did dive right into work again. And so I was still more like I needed to stay home. And like, I physically was like, I cannot do anything. Like mm-hmm. I just was a, a mess. And I think that was his tactic of getting through it. Yeah. And, um, but I do feel like his stages of grief, like the denial, especially it was like almost postponed because he didn't face it maybe as head on as I did in the beginning where it's like, that's all I could feel. Um, I felt like he kind of kept pushing it down and he would try to like still obviously be the man of the house and like Mm -hmm. keep things together. But I think postponing it for him it would rear its nasty head like later on down the road. Right. So I think we just dealt with it differently um, where I literally felt like I couldn't deal with anything else other than that. Mm-hmm. I think he kind of kept pushing it aside. And then, I mean, that was my perspective on it. I don't know what his answer would be, Yeah. but um, I do think it was kind of like when I was falling apart, he was, he had to be strong for me and our son at mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. And then it seemed like when I started to kind of come out of this this phase of the denial, I guess. Um, and I was being the strong one. I think that's when he kind of would let himself feel it. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that interesting how like it, the sheer timing of it yeah. allowed the two of you to help the other one. And it must just be subconscious, you know, yeah. like you don't let your guard down, I think until you know the other person can like be there to like right. run the household and like lift you up. And yeah. I don't know, it's not like you do it on purpose, but it kind of always worked that way for us. Yeah. yeah. So sign of a sign of a pretty strong marriage right there. Well, I'd hope so. I think so. I think That's after we've solid. been through this, I feel like we could get through anything. That's but. pretty solid. I mean, to be able to read the signs like that's pretty, pretty, pretty cool. Well, thank Kinda you. Interesting. Yeah. Thanks. All right, and so now we're uh, we're bringing back a, the sissy sign segment because, based on the sissy sign episode we had a couple weeks ago, we got we posted it to the to Facebook, and we got a, a ton of really cool comments back of folks who are talking about their own sissy signs. And here's what's really nice: 
not just sissy signs for their their young angel. We had a we had one sissy sign for just a family member who yeah. had passed. Very cool. So I'll read a few of these, and then Bryn, you have a really cool one to share of somebody. I do. Yes. Okay. So uh, so here are the ones that we that we got from the Facebook page. Thank you everybody for for who answered. So Lisa Marie Combs Presley said she sees ladybugs. They appear out of nowhere, and typically when it's not normal times to see them, like seeing them in February, for example. This is these are the, this is the sissy sign for her angel. Very sweet. So cool. Andrea White finds dimes, so dimes are significant to 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 her and her relationship with her angel. Very lovely. Jennifer uh, says she sees a rainbow whenever she's missing her mom the most or having a really hard day. Very cool. Very cool. And then finally, Brandy Spears. I actually know somebody who, who who did this same thing. She she finds pennies on the ground, she picks them up, and she also, uh, kind of something in common with you, Bryn, red-tailed hawks are very yeah, important to her. I saw her that. That's sign. so cool. That's pretty cool. Kind of, kind I of love cool that connection. people are sharing these signs, yeah. too. I just love hearing about it. Very neat. I had I had a, I had a co-worker at my old job who, um, who her daughter had passed away from a rare disease, and she uh, had what were called Nelly pennies because her because uh, her daughter's name was Nelly, and so she oh whenever gosh, she found that's them, cute. yeah. And I remember uh, that our, our coworker eventually she passed. She passed of she she died she died of cancer, and on the way back from seeing her at the hospital for the last time, I got back to my desk and I literally had a penny sitting on my chair. Whoa. It was unbelievable. Yeah, that's uh, when you know. That's, that's your when, sissy yeah. sign. Yeah, that's when you know, right? That's so so cool. you have a sissy sign that you got from somebody who we talked to. Very, very sweet. Yes, I just want to share, um, and I hope it's okay that I share. So I'm not going to mention names, but um, I had a visitor here at the office yesterday, and um, it's somebody I've known for quite some time, but he said that he has his own sissy sign that he wanted to share. And I, you know, was obviously really excited to hear. Yeah. Um, but he had lost somebody that he really cared deeply about years and years and years ago when he um, was quite a bit younger. And they used to always go hike in the Redwoods. Mm -hmm. And so he said after his um, loved one had passed, he was hiking through the Redwoods and an owl literally landed in his path right in front of him. Unbelievable. Which, and it was broad daylight, you know, not like an evening time hike or anything. So he, that's obviously very uncommon. And then he said this owl literally walked along the path with him and like kind of led him down this path to a big old hollowed out redwood tree that him and his loved one used to go and visit. Yeah. Um, and he said the owl just stood there and kind of stared at him. And um, ever since, yeah. he said he sees owls on a regular basis yeah. and they will be out in, you know, broad daylight or just fly and you know be right in front of him on his path and yeah. um as he's telling me this story you know i was covered in goosebumps yeah. and getting a little emotional and teary-eyed because yeah. you just feel how real it is yeah. and i said oh my gosh you know thank you so much for sharing because it's it's such a beautiful moment that you know that like you're really making a connection with yes. your past loved one yeah um and i still get goosebumps listening to other people's like that i mean it yeah. was just so beautiful and um very unusual i'd never heard a story quite like that yeah. So thank you for hopefully allowing me to share that because yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's such yeah. a beautiful story. I um, had to tell uh, the staff here at the office that story, and then I'm happy I could share it on the podcast because yeah. it was really beautiful. This is one of this is one of my favorite segments. I really like the Rowan's Rays of Light because I I feel like I'm a fairly uh, I like to be a fairly positive person. Mm -hmm. But the other one I like a lot are the are the sissy signs. They're it's fantastic. So fun, and it's interesting, you know, because. Pretty much everybody I know that's lost somebody has their own right little sissy sign. That's right, and and 
and it's so like uniquely personal, but then it's so cool when people bond over their sissy signs. Mm-hmm. Like I just think I think it's a really neat one. I do too. Yeah, very cool. So getting back to the questions, we like what we like to do is we we like to talk a little bit of in the first block about how you experienced it in the moment. And then we like to sort of fast forward to where you are today. Uh, because we want to show folks that um, grief on a daily basis, you can live more and more with it. And even, even though it's a part of you, it's a suitcase you carry at all times. Mm-hmm. It's a part of your luggage. You can actually live with it. You can travel with it. Right. Um, and so I think that in, in that same vein of it's not linear experience, you you have denial ever, all the time. You experience it in some form or another. Can you talk a little bit about maybe some uh, uh, moments of denial that you've had today or that have snuck up on you uh, as since the accident has happened? Yeah, and I think you described it perfectly. I actually was going to reference that and say, I feel like I have a lot of luggage I'm carrying no around way. all the time. Yeah, I actually wrote that down. We didn't my even notes. talk about that. I feel like I carry around a lot of baggage. <laughs> <laughs> Look <laughs> but, at that. Wow. Um, I really think it's such a different feeling than denial was in the Mm -hmm. beginning. Um, And I wouldn't even necessarily call it denial anymore, but I go through the woulda, shoulda, couldas still occasionally. Like, I wish I would have done this, or I wish I, you know, would have done that or could have done this um, to prevent the accident. Mm -hmm. And then, so I still have bouts of that, but I think I really just miss my old, like the old me still. And Mm -hmm. like, how simple life felt. Like I didn't mm-hmm. feel like I ever had baggage before. I didn't know what baggage was before, right, you right. know? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Yeah. your meaningless baggage, I would give anything to go back to that where you just feel like light and life was really easy. Right. The minor um, dramas. Of the yeah. World, the minor dramas of the world. And of course I obviously still miss my daughter. So it's like, I wouldn't necessarily call it denial, but I do definitely miss and crave like the simplicity of like, our old life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We'll get into more the, the, the coulda, shoulda, wouldas mm-hmm. in the sort of bargaining stage. Cause that yeah. is a spot where uh, Kubler-Ross talks a lot about where you're, you're, if I only could have done this, if I only would have done that, that's that negotiation that, that you make with your, with yourself mm-hmm. to really, that's the, that's the dark side of bargaining. Right. Yeah. Uh, because you're really, you're really putting yourself in, you're really hating yourself for something that, you know, you ultimately couldn't have prevented. But a lot of folks do that. And so we'll talk more about that during the bargaining stage. But um, it's really interesting, the sort of uh, denial piece today. How do you deal with moments of disbelief like that, where you're saying, I, I can't believe that this is my life? Have you, how, do you, how do you see that and, and keep moving? I definitely still cling to my faith. So mm. I... I pray. I mean, like when I'm in my dark points or like when I'm having those moments where I'm in a dark place with denial or yeah, any of it, I definitely still like turn to God and my faith and I pray. Um, I've always called my pastor, Jim, that's been on the podcast Uh when uh I've needed to, and he's always been a good listening ear. Yes. um, And walked me through those times, you know, and even if it wasn't like he knew why I was calling, I could call and just ask him about the weather, mm-hmm. but whatever he had to say seemed to lift me up in whatever I yeah. really needed at that yeah. time. Yeah. Um, but like I said earlier, take it like breath by breath, moment by moment. Um, and sometimes that's when it's like you need to slow down mm-hmm. and stay home for the day and read a book or do whatever you can to get through those moments. But 
Um, they're definitely less than they used to be, so I don't really feel like I get knocked off my feet as much as I used to, mm -hmm. which is obviously good. Yes, of course. <laughs> but uh, when it when it does happen, yeah, that's kind of what I turn to is I still cling to my faith and rely on those people around me that have either walked by my side since day one mm -hmm. um, or maybe have experienced the loss themselves. Yeah. Which actually with Race for Rowan has been so cool because I've been able to not only connect and help these other families in their grieving, but they've now been able to help me in my right. bad times too. Right. Which right. I've made some really great friends along this journey. So, um, you know, there's been times like holidays and stuff where angel moms um, and even angel dads will like reach out and just be like thinking of you, how are you doing? Yeah. And open up that dialogue. And it is so nice to have that community now yeah. of like, wow, like mm -hmm. it's um, full circle, That's you know, right. like we've helped them now they've can they reach out and help me um and it's really beautiful yeah so. it's it's, pro it's providing energy to each other mm -hmm. you yeah. give them the energy to keep moving and then they do the same yeah that's a really neat i really appreciate those check-ins if any of you are listening i really appreciate those yeah. like just random messages that i'll get every once in a while of yeah. like well how are you doing or you know just thinking of you and it's nice to get that yeah I from think somebody that's, really that's cool. also lost a child it's like wow they they're thinking of it They're too. They're thinking of it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. What sort of recommendations, getting to if somebody's experiencing this themselves, would you make based on your own experience to someone who's currently going through this stage of grief where they're attempting to either de deny or or uh, push away their current reality? Yeah. Well, unfortunately, there's no way to outrun it, and there's no way to avoid it. So I think if you... Um, the longer you push it off, you know, like I was saying with my husband, I think it, you can push it away as much as you want, but it's, you're going to have to experience this phase of grief at some point. Mm -hmm. So, um, you can be in denial as long as you need, but I feel like you're going to have to go through these emotions and these feelings in order to start healing. Um, and I think each little step that you can take, it is a little bit of healing. It, it literally will help fix a tiny bit of that broken heart that you're feeling. But um, again, like we've shared in the past, I think any kind of support that you can get, um, you know, reaching out to family members that have stuck by your side after you've lost a loved one or a child, I think it's huge. Just having somebody to lean on um, and fill yourself with positive people, um, get out and exercise, all the, all the tips that I say pretty much for all of it. But mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. I think really leaning on somebody, especially in this first which I really do feel like denial is kind of one of the first main things that hits right. you. I think you really, during this phase, you can't do it alone. Um, so find any kind of support system you can. I mean, with Race for Rowan, like we have our own support angel page. So if you're not a member on that, please um, search for it. And we have to actually approve you in. But if you yes. are one of our angel family specifically, we totally recommend people to do that. But I think there's so many support groups that you can be a part of that even just... Yeah, the easy, simple stuff of like somebody messaging you or you messaging them to start that dialogue has mm -hmm. been helpful for me because you just don't feel alone um, and it lifts you up when you're yes, broken. Exactly. Um, and if you are somebody um, that is faithful, I mean, read, pray. I think that really got me along my journey um, in my darkest times, yeah. something that lifted me up. And then again, I always would read books about heaven and kind of the other side and connecting with your loved one. Yeah. That always really brought me comfort right? because um, you can be in denial as long as you need to be. But if you still can feel like a little, ro ro sorry, like 
If you can feel any kind of small connection still um, to your loved one, I think Mm -hmm. that can help you get through these these really hard times when you're like, well, at least, you know, I'm getting a sissy sign or I feel some kind of spiritual connection with them still, even though I can't physically see them here. Yeah. Um, those are the things that got me through. So. Yeah. yeah, that's good advice. Good advice. Uh, for, for, for me, final question to you. Yeah. Um, on a scale of, uh, of, of one to five, where would you put this in terms of this, in terms of its difficulty, this particular stage, was this one of the tougher stages you found yourself in? If you were to look back, this was the worst. This was the worst one. <laughs> this was the worst for okay. me. Um, okay. I really do think it was the, yeah. the hardest and the worst. And I think because you really, yeah, you don't feel like it's real. How could this be my life? Uh-huh. This is not my reality. Um, it's a really hard. Yeah. Yeah. That, I noticed that when we started to kind of work on that, that you definitely seemed like this was going to be the one where it was the hardest to talk about most of, most of all. Yeah. Denial's uh, rough. I mean, you go from thinking life is just dandy. Yeah. To yeah. like, how could this be my life? Yeah. Plus your brain is competing yeah. with itself. There's mm-hmm. half of it that wants to deny what happened. And then there's the other half that's like, you have to get there. It's going to happen. You have mm-hmm. to recognize it. Like it's fighting with itself. You can't even like compute that it's real, yeah. honestly. And I remember just being so overwhelmed that I couldn't type out a text message on my phone. Yeah. Because you're just overloaded with, yeah. um, yeah, these just big, heavy feelings and your brain just goes toast, you know? Yeah. So yeah. it's a, it's a rough one. Yeah. And if you're fresh in your grief, you're probably going through this stage of denial. And even if it is five years later, you probably have bouts of denial with things still. So um, just from my experience of talking to lots and lots of other angel families, I do think this one is one of the harder ones. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they all suck, but this one is like... <laughs> this one's up there. This one is this the one's This one's up there. Tough one, yeah. So I do want to say a couple of things. Number one, we are we are not actual psychologists. So we, we if you if you are feeling like you need to talk to somebody, you should go see a therapist, a professional. Highly uh, recommended. Yep, you should go do that. <laughs> uh, we're only giving you what what we've read, our, our half-assed internet research and, mm-hmm. and Bryn's experience. So if you are feeling things you, that you don't know that you can get over, mm-hmm. it's always good to, to go talk to a professional. And um, if you are uh, in, engaging in some sort of denial, it is actually normal. So don't yeah. feel bad about the fact that you're trying to do that or that it was weird or that you're some you're some freak show who who isn't dealing with grief any better than anyone else. You like it, it, you go through these things. Yeah. This is something that you'll go through. It's why it's talked, one of the five stages. Now that you talked about therapy, I would just like to add I was totally against it for three years. Mm. Had you had you were denying therapy almost. I was denying way. therapy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is a pretty common also feeling Mm. um i know my husband still never had a desire to do it and i've actually encouraged it because once i started going and the only reason i went is because i hit kind of like a rock bottom place again like an emotional yeah about like year three Mm -hmm. and i finally was kind of at that point where i'm like i just need help to talk Mm -hmm. i just need to talk to somebody and um i can highly recommend it it's brought me a long way on my journey of healing because when you can finally express those feelings and like just talk to somebody and my therapist isn't even somebody that's lost a child so again i've had people ask well how can you talk to somebody that's never lost a child and feel like they're gonna help or benefit 
I understand that, but it really has helped. I think just getting it off your chest. Yes. And somebody listening, also somebody that's educated and professional that can help you really feel like, okay, you are not crazy. Like these are valid feelings. They're validating how you feel. And so uh, I'm not being a pusher, but I can just tell you, I was one of those people that for three years was so adamantly against going to therapy. I don't want to talk to anybody about it. Why do I want to keep reliving it and talking about it? But once I finally started, I mean, it made a huge um, jump in my healing process. And it's been a great experience. And um, I just highly recommend it. A ringing endorsement. Because I was still in the denial phase at like when I first started going to therapy after like three years. So she really helped me actually, I think, kind of move along from that phase. Well, and that I think is why seeing a professional is so important is because mm-hmm. they professionally know things that will help you. They're not they're it's not a magic bullet. They're not going to they're not going to be able to boom solve your problem right away, but they know things that will be able to help you cope. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm of the same I'm of the same mindset. I know people get scared of that sort of thing. They don't like the idea of it. It's this sign of weakness, whatever it is that keeps you from denying being able to go see somebody, the power of being able to talk to somebody who is not actually overtly judging you in any way and really just listening is really, really profound. It's really something. Like, so, um, yeah, I mean, it's great. That is actually a part of the denial process. It's a bad thing. Don't deny help from a professional if, if, if it might help. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. Um, that's going to close our show on that very good point, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> kind of uh, one of the things we had, a, we had an online auction a few weeks ago as we close out here. And last week I kind of joked that we raised thousands, but we did not have a total. <laughs> well, we actually do have a total, and it's an unbelievable total. It's $91,000 is what we raised. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty insane. I cannot believe it. Cannot believe it. Uh, I can't believe that folks came out the way you did, supported our nonprofit, especially yes. in this time. It was so fun to see family and friends on there making comments, bidding up each other. It was a lot of fun. It was it was really hilarious. Thank you so much, everybody that tuned in and yeah. supported and participated. Um, without our, you know, loyal fans and supporters, we yeah. would never, you know, there's no way that we no anticipated way. raising $91,000. No, uh, my, my goal was five. Yeah, Phyllis was five. <laughs> Mine was more like 30. Yeah. But, I mean, 91 Unbelievable. exceeded, like, more than I could ever imagine. Absolutely. And, so. for the, and for those of you who may be wondering what that does for us, that carries us, even in this really hard time, through the whole rest of the fiscal year. Yeah. So right. so our doors are going to continue to be open. We're going to continue to be able to serve families. We're going to continue to be able to be there emotionally for the families that we've already served because of everybody who hopped on Facebook yeah. and, and, and was a part of it. Thank you again to our, our huge sponsors. We'll post those, of course, to the site. Again, we're going to post those to Facebook, thanking the sponsors for everything that you've done uh, supporting us. It was just really amazing. We are so grateful. Yeah. And if you did tune in, I will apologize for my camera skills. <laughs> <laughs> and if you haven't watched, you can actually still go to our yeah, race yeah. for own Facebook page and rewatch the video. It's actually, I thought we were pretty entertaining, but I really am not good <laughs> at handling a 
phone. Nobody ever phone. accused us of being still Steven Spielberg. So yeah. I think we're going to be fine. <laughs> but hey, we still raised 91,000. Yeah, so that is, it was unbelievable. It was really amazing. Yeah, it, it was it was really just inspiring and beautiful to see. Thank you, everybody who did that. Uh, we do have some news on the run. So we have been telling you over the last couple of weeks that we're considering canceling it, that it might be something we can go away from. Uh, we are going we're not going to cancel it. What we're going to do is turn it into a virtual run. We'll have more details about that on the site and on the Facebook page as we start to put those together. We do view it as a, still an opportunity for, for folks who really loved being a part of last year's run uh, to still be a part of a of, of run like this uh, this year. It'll just end up being a virtual run this year because we're not quite out of the woods with the whole yeah. gathering in, in, uh, in places and uh, with groups of that size. So hopefully, fingers crossed, by the end of the year, that'll be something we're going to be able to do, just not for the run. And we still want to incorporate something special for our angel families. Right. Um, so stay tuned. We will definitely be posting some more information on that. But if you are Absolutely. one of our angel families, we still really encourage you to um, get involved because yep. we will you know, always want to include something special to honor your yeah, angel. we will definitely be doing something special mm-hmm. for for all of our angel participants and all of our angel families at the uh, at the virtual run. So it's not yes. being canceled; it's just being converted to a virtual run. And uh, we'll play the same jazz and improv the same way we did uh, this last one. Maybe hiring a friend, camera guy. <laughs> <laughs> By guy, I mean me. Yeah. <laughs> Might have yeah, to find we, a camera the, person. Yeah, we we fired the last camera operator. <laughs> she. she she Not was, my strong suit. She was, you know, it was her first time. It yeah. was her first time mm-hmm. going through the hallway of her own work on a Facebook Live auction. So, I mean, you yeah. can't be easily forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> so, as I said, this is a part of uh, of actually a six um, a six podcast series. Next week, we're going to be hitting the second stage of grief. We'll talk. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week, and then it'll all culminate with us bringing in uh, Rowan's mom to talk to Rowan's mom about uh, the sixth stage of grief, which is, which is the meaning. So we hope that you guys got something out of this, and hopefully over the next couple of weeks, we can all learn a little bit more about each of the five stages of grief. But until then, we will see you next week. Adios. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>